Welcome, Traveler's Blueprint community. I'm Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the ever-inquisitive Bob Demena. Thank you, Elliot. Um, hello, everyone. So on, well, before we get into today's episode, we uh, want to give a shout out to Minivan of Memories, a partner of ours, a blogging platform that allows everyday travelers who don't have the platform to share their personal experiences. We read a ton of them, and um, we kind of have a mutual uh, partnership where we send our our guests over to Aldison of Minivan of Memories, and he sends them back to us. So we've now had a few guests on that we met through that company, and we're going to continue to do so. So check it out for yourself and uh, become a member, become a passenger. Um, so in addition to that, so today's episode, uh, we actually had the idea to do this episode because Elliot is going to Iceland, right? And I want to throw it out there that if you're listening and you have an idea for a trip, but you're maybe intimidated by the research that it entails, or you want to learn more about a specific tour company in the country you're visiting, feel free to shoot us an email or, uh, I don't know, send us a DM on Instagram and say, hey, I'm going to Italy or I'm going to Croatia or wherever it may be. Can you hook me up with a wine tour and wine tour company or food tour company or hiking company? And uh, we'll do that. We'll reach out to some companies and get them on the show and learn more about the country. Um, it, it's exciting for us, and we actually enjoy doing it. And that's sort of what brought us to where we are with this episode. So, Elliot, why don't you uh, take it? So today's guest is French, but he fell in love with Iceland at a very early age in his life and ended up moving to Iceland as a young student. He started teaching shortly after graduation and eventually felt a stronger purpose in leading people on tours through the Icelandic landscape and sort of teaching on the road in the outdoors. And in this episode, we talk about the natural beauty of Iceland, a little bit of the history and culture of Reykjavik and the nation, and then we get into his tour company. So without further introduction, please give a warm welcome to Gregory Catania. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Gregory, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Bob and I are very excited to have you on the show. Uh, so thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Bob and Elliot. It's a great pleasure to be on this show. And I hope you'll learn something about Iceland while listening to this uh, wonderful podcast. I, I think we'll learn quite a bit. Uh, so you kind of fell in love with Iceland as a young kid, and you learned about it through history and literature, and you actually visited Iceland when you were pretty young at the age of 13. Um, and then after graduating, you went back to the country and the natural beauty of it kind of took over you and you were really drawn to its tourism industry and you had a passion for teaching. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you wanted to use that passion, not necessarily in a classroom, but more in the open world environment and, you know, teaching people about Iceland in the countryside. So we're really excited to talk to you about Iceland and about your tour company that you work with. So why don't we just get right into it and talk a little bit about what Iceland is best known for? It's outdoors. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, Gregory, I think what are there? there's three national parks in, in Iceland, three major right. national parks. Yes, that's correct, Bob. You have uh, three types of uh, three big national parks, 
the first one and the, the oldest one is uh, Thingvetir National Park. So it's the one, uh, one located about like half an hour from, uh, from Reykjavik. And it's built on two tectonic plates. And this place has a huge, uh, historical signification for Icelander because that's where they, they created their nation back in the, in the Viking age. And that's where the main, uh, settler gathered in 930 and decided to create their first parliament, which is still today the first parliament in Europe, probably in the world, uh, which is called Althingi in Old Norse. And uh, this is located in Thingvetl, so the first national park. And still today it's a very important, uh, landmark for Icelander and that's where they gained their independence on the 17th of June 1944 from the Dane. So to this day, of course, it's a huge uh, tourist attraction, but it's very, uh, uh, very deep to their history and to their to their heart. But I'm losing my, my yeah, it's, <laughs> it's uh, deep to their heart. They love it. The second national park is the probably the biggest one. It's like 14, about 14,000 kilometers, uh, square kilometers. So that's 14% of the whole country. And it's called Vatnajökull National Park. And it's the one mostly famous for its uh, glacier because it's uh, one of the biggest European glacier still existing. And for tourists, it's super famous for its uh, glacier lagoon because they tend to go on the diamond beach to see uh, iceberg like just wrecked on the, on the black sand. Or, uh, to take a little cruise between iceberg on this, uh, on this glacier lagoon. It's also, f- yeah, it's also famous for having the highest peak in Iceland, which is not too high according to European standard, but it's 2,109 meter. And for you guys, that's 6,121 feet. It's not too big, but that's the highest uh, peak in Iceland. And then the third one, the third national park is mostly, you know, close to my heart. It's Snaffelsjökull National Park, and it's only about an hour and a half drive from Reykjavik. And in this, you have a miniature of Iceland. So basically, all the wonderful landscape and geological formation uh, are there in a very limited radius. You can experience a glacier, a black sand beach, a volcanic activities, beautiful mountains, and so on moss-covered lava, and other things. So it's a very good thing when you have only like one day and you want to try to see the most you can. It's a very good idea to take a day tour around Snaffelsnest to experience what actually Iceland has to experience. So for a little layover, it's a perfect uh, spot. Yeah, sounds it. It sounds... So when I'm thinking of Iceland, a lot of people that are going there... Typically, it, I think, well, for Americans anyway, maybe Canadians, it's about a week, um, maybe two weeks. So that sounds like the perfect national park to visit if you want to get a taste of Iceland and, you know, a taste of Iceland's natural beauty. Um, another big thing people are going to do is hike. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, if you are limited, if you have someone coming for seven days, maybe 14 days, what would be your go-to hikes uh, in Iceland that these people should see? Maybe, you know, the first, the best one, and then maybe maybe the top three. What are your top three favorite hikes in Iceland? Of course, it's all subjects. Subjective, <laughs> uh, right? But, right. Uh, the first one for me will be on Forsmer, uh, so it's in the Highlands, and you can reach it on a day tour, for example, and walk along. There's a lot of canyons you can walk in, and my favorite. I'm sorry for the Icelandic word, but it's called Stakotskjau. Uh, so it's a little canyon, and the hike is about three hours if you want to do it well, and you can see like a lot of little 
they are little canyons, and if you dare to venture into some of them, you might even see like waterfalls, unknown waterfall inside canyon. So this is pretty cool. Uh, the second one will be probably the most famous for uh, people living in the Reykjavik and greater capital area will be Reykjadalur. It's just behind the mount- in the mountain behind Reykjavik, so about half an hour drive from from your home in Reykjavik or your hotel. And in this, it's a very popular one because you can bathe basically everywhere in hot spring while doing the hike. So you just take your a good pair of shoes, a swimsuit, if you want, if you're not a German tourist. A uh, little swimsuit. Uh, if you don't want to, if you don't want to go completely, <laughs> and just walk around, and it's like pretty accessible, and it costs nothing. So it's a very good one. And then the last one, which is the most famous one, that would be for a two to three days trek. Uh, that's the one we call Lögaveger, and it's located in Lommanalöga. So it's basically it starts at Lommanalöga, and you end up at Forsberg, so the one I mentioned for the first hike, and that's the most popular trek in Iceland. So it's very nice. And and when would you recommend people visit Iceland? What time of year is ideal to do these hikes? Okay, so uh, for these hikes in particular, yeah, so that would be for the summertime. So I would say from May to end of September, that would be better to do these type of hikes, mostly because the the highland uh, roads will be closed in the wintertime because of the snow and and the harsh condition. Uh, But to visit Iceland in general, to do whatever you can come over. All year long, there's a really a, a place for any time of the year in Iceland. Okay, so we talked about a little bit of hiking for the summer season, but the winter season is best for seeing the aurora borealis in the northern lights, right? That's okay. correct. Uh, and that would be what we call winter. Uh, starts in the middle of September and will end in the beginning of okay. April. It's quite a, a long winter season. Can you see the Northern Lights at all in the summer? If you're, yeah, if the visibility is, uh, is proper, you could see the darkness, but the main thing is in the, in the summertime, and it's actually started like a couple of weeks ago with the beginning of the midnight sun, uh, you have daylight all summer. So without obscurity, you cannot see the, the northern light. You need darkness, first of all. Uh, it happened on some tour. I could see them in the middle of August, around midnight, but they will be very weak and not worth seeing, basically. Nothing in comparison okay. to what you can experience in the deep winter. And in the deep winter, is, are there specific spots that are better for viewing the northern lights, or does it all change? Basically, it's changing all the time because it's a very elusive phenomenon, the northern lights. Uh, but the men the main uh, qual- the main qualification you need to see them would be the the darkness and the absence of light. So that means if you go away from city and light pollution, you would have way more chances to see them. So I would recommend some remote okay. place in the countryside. Doesn't matter if you're in the north or in the south of Iceland, uh, you'll be able to see them. And from my understanding, uh, I think from when when we talked previously, the the northern lights actually move. They're flowing almost through the sky. And so, one, I guess you know, if you if you come up to a location and you sit your chair down and you're you're in for you're ready for a show, the the lights could potentially just move right out um, very quickly. Yeah, that's correct. They move very quickly, but the the sky is huge, so you can yeah. still <laughs> spot them. <laughs> it's okay, but basically, they would say. Okay, just to answer that, uh, they would stay about half an hour in the same place. I mean, okay. as long as your eyesight can reach 
for about half an hour without moving, you should be okay and see them. Then they will move further away. Uh, so this means you will not lose them if you see them, they don't disappear right away. Unless they go behind a cloud. In okay. this case, you're All right. unlucky. Yeah. So is it true that there is like a meteorology or a forecasting website for the Northern Lights? Yeah, along with a good uh, American pronunciation, it would be vader.is, <laughs> uh, which is vader.is. Uh, <laughs> so it's basically the uh, yeah, a website for weather forecasts in Iceland. So it works for uh, storms, earthquakes, and also for the Northern Lights, and it's very popular for the Northern Lights. And then if you're a little bit more nerd for Northern Light sighting, you have a Facebook group called Northern Light in Iceland. And in this, you can just register yourself and follow live uh, what's happening in Iceland. So if someone sees it in a town like Selfos, for example, uh, about an hour from, from Reykjavik, uh, you will have a picture of the Northern Light taken on the spot. Let's say I just put this right now. So depending on the location you're at, you might have chances to see that. So it's used a lot by our tour guys and bus driver to chase, literally chase uh, the Northern Lights by vehicle. Okay. So wow. you can, you can <laughs> go, awesome. if you don't see anything at the location you are, you don't have to be static. You can just move and drive like uh, 20 more minutes to have more chances to see them. And I know that for all the tours we have in the, in the evening for Northern Lights, uh, we often follow these websites, these forecasts, and we move on to try to to catch them and to hunt them and make sure that the client see what he came to see. Okay, that's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that I probably won't see the Northern Lights because we're going mid-August. Okay, but well, you see the midnight sun is good. <laughs> yes, yeah. So when we're there in mid-August, what time will the sun set and rise? Around uh, maybe midnight, the sun will set or 1.20 a.m. Uh, and it will rise about half an hour later. <laughs> oh, all right. So I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, we we had our uh, summer solstice a couple of nights ago or days ago. Yeah. It depends how you want to take it. Uh, but the sun sat, uh, sat for like 10 minutes. Wow. And it was sunny the whole time. I slept very badly myself because I had too many, too much uh, lumino- luminosity. So it disturbed me a little bit. Uh, but it's famous in Iceland and we have a huge rock festival called Summer Solstice. Uh, that we host in Reykjavik for the whole weekend. So this actual weekend is the weekend of the, the solstice. So ah, you're, you're okay. out all night listening to rock band and just dancing the night, the night or the day, whatever you say. Yeah, away. Dancing the day away. <laughs> <laughs> so for the ideal time to come to see as much as you can and do as much as you can, would you say it might be maybe September-ish where you can still go on hikes, you can enjoy the hot springs, the Blue Lagoon, but then you still might be able to get a glimpse of Northern Lights? I'm trying to just think uh, what like the, the little pocket area, that timeline, the time frame, rather, that uh, yeah. you'd be able to get it all in. I think I will agree with you. Like, end of August, uh, the two first weeks of September. That could be like a, a mid-season, you could say. Even if we only have two seasons in Iceland, we just have winter and summer. But this could work as a, a type of fall where you can experience both. So, so okay. I know that some year can be really, like, summery at this time of the year, and other will be harsh. I remember the first year I came to Iceland, on the what, 4th of September, I had like 30 centimeters of snow already, but it was Whoa. a while back. So it can be very versatile and changing, but definitely end of August, beginning of September, you could have a chance to experience both. And then I would also recommend the middle of April, because okay. in the middle of April, you can still see the last northern lights. Uh, you can start 
I mean, you're already experiencing uh, longer days, which is quite enjoyable. So you can travel okay. around the country and the countryside too. I, I want to wrap back into the hot springs because I'm really interested in those. Uh, so Blue Lagoon is what is one of the most famous places in Iceland. And it is kind of a huge tourist destination because it's really close to the airport. So people can basically get off the plane and go right to the Blue Lagoon as like their first destination if they wanted to. Uh, so is the Blue Lagoon, I read somewhere that it's not actually natural, that part of it's man-made. Yeah, the Blue Lagoon uh, started as a clinic at the beginning uh, to treat like uh, skin disease, like psoriasis or eczema. Uh, and then they, of course, understood the potential for just uh, spa and to bathe. So they expanded it. But the Blue Lagoon you see today, the one you're visiting, is entirely man-made. Even though it looks beautiful, you have uh, lava, rocks all around. It's really a nice place, but it's all man-made. And they're using a hot spring that's natural, so a natural hot spring. Uh, and they bring the temperature in about like 38 degrees Celsius, 39 degrees. So it's a very... A uh, warm bath, but not too warm. So you can stay like about a couple of hours in it without getting too tired by the heat of the, of the temperature. So it's basically a huge hot tub, to put it in other words. Okay. And do they have to process the the hot spring, the actual water from the spring first? Yeah, because the, the water actually comes from the core of the earth. So it's very, very warm and could be very dangerous to venture in the countryside and touch a hot spring or a, a geyser. We may go back to this phenomenon later on. Uh, because it's boiling hot, it's close to 100 degrees, between 80 to 100 degrees. So the process... Celsius. Is Celsius. So close to, it's really like boiling water. Um, yeah. So what we need to do is to process this water is to cool it down. And that's only by cooling it that we can use it for like domestic use, like in your home for your bath, your shower, your hot water, uh, when you're cleaning yourself. Um, and then in places like Blue Lagoon, they will have uh, huge coolers, basically, to make the water approachable by you. So they can regulate the temperature like that. So opposed to other places in the world where you have to heat water, here we need to cool it down. That's the <laughs> only, only difference. And it's geothermal. And the fun part with this uh, geothermal water would be the eggy smell. So if you, you think of boiling eggs, for example, you have like a little smell coming out. Uh, so we have it actually from this, uh, this hot spring. So when you walk in the countryside, you're like on a hike, for example. And if you smell egg, that means there's a hot spring somewhere around you. And you can also spot it because you have some of, uh, like a kind of a steam coming out of the mountain. So it's never a, a forest fire. It's always uh, a hot spring somewhere that you can see. So the mountain is like smoky. And the name of Reykjavik is the Smoky Bay in almost because of its hot spring. So that's the name the Viking gave when they, when they landed in this area. Okay. So hot springs in Iceland are also very popular. So we talked about the Blue Lagoon. Isn't the Blue Lagoon to actually get into the spa quite expensive? It would be, yeah, for you guys, it would be $70 about just to get the basic entry. So it, it's quite pricey. Uh, and then if you want to add up like massages or drinks and so on, because we have a bar inside the Blue Lagoon, so it's pretty cool. You go and you have a little armband with your little bracelet, sorry, uh, with your locker number. And you can use it as a credit payment device and you pay when you go out of the lagoon and you can order a lot of drinks. And they have the famous Blue Lagoon cocktail, like Curacao, so it's a bit of a blue, a blue drink. 
but I will go for just a cold beer. It's just perfect. So you, you really have to do it inside the Lego. So you can have that. So it's pricey, but it's totally worth it. And it should be on anyone's bucket list when they come to, when they come to Iceland. Okay. So let's say someone who is on a time crunch and on a budget crunch, they could still visit the Blue Lagoon, as far as I understand, but just walk around the outside yeah, just part the, of it and still yeah, see just it. Just around the entrance, you can walk around and you see actually the place where it's bluer because inside the lagoon itself, it's not blue, it's like uh, whitish because of the silica that you have, which is a white uh, a white mineral that you have, it gives this color to the to the lagoon and it also helps your skin. So all the magical property you have in the blue lagoon are due to the mostly due to the silica mineral. Okay. So for people on a budget, I would advise them to come and stop for a photo star, photo yeah, a little photo stop, and then to go to any swimming pool around Iceland because all our swimming pools are also geothermal and have hot tubs. So it's exactly the same. So you can enjoy it. At least the temperature and the, the fact of being outside, you can enjoy it as much in any swimming pool, and that will cost you guys about $5 to get it. So even on a budget, oh, you can right. enjoy the hot springs. So there's a lot of natural hot springs all around Iceland. You have it almost, yeah, almost everywhere. Okay. You just don't want right. to, you don't want to chance it, man. You don't know how hot they're going to be. <laughs> you can always, uh, yeah, test them, but because people have been walking these mountains for, for decades now, if not 100 years, uh, you always know when it's, there's always something man-man around. So you can venture in a hot spring in the middle of nowhere and there will be some some rocks set in circle or some little stairs like made inside the hot spring so you can have a little seat once you bathe. So it's all well organized. You won't like probably won't venture and find one that hasn't been found already. That would be very weird. All right. But if you do If you do, definitely definitely try. Don't jump in it. <laughs> for your own sake <laughs> you, d- you go in head first that's how you head obviously, first yeah. face, obviously. face first they're also like yeah. very they're very shallow so if you go also head first that could if it's good temperature you could uh, maybe hurt your head <laughs> yeah <laughs> well was there was some guy in Yellowstone recently that walked into the what was it like a boiling acid yeah it was it was I guess hot acid sulfuric acid right he essentially melted he dissolved yeah, yeah, because he wanted to like test the water or do like a geothermal That's... bath. He was some twenty-three-year-old from Oregon, and he fell in. I think he just wanted to like wade in, but he fell in, and as Bob said, he just dissolved. And even recently, some guy was walking across the geothermal field uh, at the like Rainbow Basin. What is that one called, Bob? Where there's all of those the Rainbow Basin, the the famous one that you always see. Yeah, um, I'm gonna. Because there was a, this was maybe a month ago that this guy w- just was off of the boardwalk completely by maybe three hundred yards. Yeah, it is called the Grand Prismatic Spring. That one, yeah. And these people, I like, I don't understand. I just don't think they understand the magnitude of how hot these things are and how quickly it can maim them or kill them. So yeah, that's our little PSA for this episode. <laughs> don't jump into a hot spring that doesn't have anything man-made around it. And don't go off the boardwalk at Yellowstone. Right. I, a lot of these deaths are from irresponsibility. Uh, I, if you if you stick to the path and you stay the course, um, these things have already been predetermined for you, and they're as safe as possible. Um, when you when you pair these deaths up with how many people actually visit the parks, it's very tiny. And a lot of times you'll see that yeah. these deaths are attributed to irresponsibility. One thing I want to get into. Before we move into our next segments, uh, my mom is really interested in doing one of those horseback okay. tours. 
either around Reykjavik or Southern. Uh, so I guess my question is, what do you think of the horseback riding tours and where would you do them if you were going to? I'm not a rider myself. I don't really enjoy it, uh, but it's beautiful. It's really enjoyable and you should maybe do it if you're in Iceland, if you have interest and you can do it easily from Reykjavik. You have around Reykjavik two companies that are offering these types of tours and you go to the, the mountain or the heath and any like country light landscape. Uh, the fun thing to do would be a maybe one hour, 45 minutes uh, drive from Reykjavik on the south coast because you could do it on Black Lava Beach. So that's quite interesting to do uh, and it's not too far. But otherwise, there's also like some tour operator that offers uh, multi-day tours by horse. So you can cross basically Iceland on horseback as for more like uh, experienced uh, riders or, or passionate. But we have a lot yeah, of these people coming to to Iceland everywhere, every year. Uh, the Icelandic horse is really a majestic creature. It's unique. Mm. Okay, that's pretty awesome. And one of the things that I wanted to do that I don't know if we'll actually be able to because it is kind of peak summer is a, an ice cave tour, but I don't know if they'll actually be safe yeah, enough to do. One, actually, where you going to stay near Vik. Uh, it's called the, uh, used to be called the secret ice cave, but the secret is gone now. It's just the the other we call it the other ice cave. Uh, this one is open all year long, so you can visit it in the in the summertime. Uh, but the most popular, the blue ice cave on Vatnajökull, so the second national park I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, this one is only open basically roughly from fifteenth uh, of November to fifteenth of March. So in the deep winter, because the ice is safe at this time of the year. But you can definitely check the Katla. But I have another. A uh, secret one that's easier. It's in Reykjavik. It's totally man-made, but you can visit in uh, Pertland. So the Pearl, it's a big landmark of Reykjavik uh, with a dome. Uh, you can visit on two floors a reproduction of the Blue Escape. So the one from the National Park of Vatnajökull. Uh, it's been basically, it's a copycat of the, the real Escape, and you can experience an Escape in the center of Reykjavik. So if you're on a on a budget, if you don't want to drive like eight hours to go to the Blue Ice Cave uh, in Vatnajökull, you can actually experience it in Petland. So in Reykjavik, and you can do it in half an hour and be done with it. It's open and all year. That's open all year. Really, for having, I mean, I went with my uh, colleagues and uh, we've been trying most of them. And obviously, the Blue Ice Cave in, in Vatnajökull, uh, and uh, yeah, and you cannot see the, the difference. You know only when you walk that you're walking on a, on a man-made structure, but the wall and the, all around you is, all the surroundings are really bluffing. You really think you're in the, the blue ice So that's always a, an alternative. Oh, that's cool. Also, if you I'll have, have like an hour out. to kill in Reykjavik, you want to do something yeah. interesting, you can go and venture into, into this landmark. Nice. Now that we're talking about Reykjavik, it's a perfect transition. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So <clears throat> this is a super cool city um, and something that I one of the places that I'm excited to see when I go to Iceland eventually. Most people uh, focus on the, the natural uh, beauty of Iceland and rightfully so. But I, I want you to maybe take us through like a, a walking tour of Reykjavik and tell us about some of the major attractions this in this city. No problem. So you have good taste. Reykjavik is a very beautiful city. Uh, you can see basically most of Iceland within this uh, 
this little town because the the, the town or the, the capital of Iceland is about 170,000 inhabitants. And we haven't mentioned the total population, but our total population is 330,000 inhabitants. So you have about two-thirds of the whole country uh, living within the greater capital area. Uh, so it's pretty impressive. So what we look for you as a little town, that's why I call it like that, but all the Icelanders listening to this podcast will, will hate me for that. Uh, this town is the, the, the capital. So it's the biggest place in Iceland to see people. <laughs> it's densely populated. And in the, now it's densely populated with a lot of tourists walking around. So you say like to take a, a walking tour of Reykjavik. So I will definitely start maybe with the Pearl. So Perlan is, uh, Monument with the ice cave, because on this you have also a panoramic 360 terrace on the fourth floor, and you can see the whole bay. So you can see all the way up to the airport in Keflavik, another town. You can see my own town, Hapnafeber, and all the surroundings of Reykjavik from this point of view. So to start will be a good point. Then the second place will be the, the church called Halgrimskirka. It's the main church of Reykjavik. It has very peculiar architecture. And also in this uh, building, you can uh, go up and on top of the building, you have you on the main streets of Reykjavik and all the, all the surroundings. And then I will just take down the main street, one of the two main streets, and go down the harbor from the main church and just walk. It's very it's short walking, like half an hour you're in the harbor. So the place I would recommend to visit will be this Reykjavik old harbor. Uh, not only for the atmosphere you can get, the cafe and so on, but for the food, because you have a lot of interesting places to stop by and try, a lot of food. And it's there that you can do all the whale-watching or puffing-watching tours. It's from this old harbor, so you have like a little bay, and you can go on a boat and expand your your experience of the of the, capi- of the capital area. Uh, and another building worth, worth mentioning is called Harpa. It's a concert hall. Uh, it has unique architecture, and I really recommend people to Google it after listening to the podcast, so Harpa, like you, you pronounce it. Uh, and it's really unique. It's a, a great architect that built it. Um, it's basically at the beginning of the whole harbor, you have this monument. So you cannot you cannot miss it when you go into it. Yeah, I'm trying to follow <laughs> all of this on Google Maps. And again, it's a small small town, so for pedestrian, it's very accessible. You can go to most of these landmarks within like half a day, well, but taking your time, it's no problem stopping at cafe and experiencing, like the Icelanders do, uh, some culinary treats or other traditions. So that is going now to bring me to food, um, something that seems to be traditionally very interesting in Iceland. Two dishes primarily that I wanted to ask you about, sheep's head and pickled shark. Uh, which which do you prefer? <laughs> well, my answer would be none of them. <laughs> it's just like a, a tradition and we use it a lot for to scare tourists away uh, but it's an old tradition uh, which has its root in the old like pagan pagan cult in Iceland uh, it's connecting to basically the mid-winter festival that we used to have in the old days uh, for a season called Thorri the season of Thor and the celebration is called Thorablot which is the uh, the sacrifice or the feast of Thor. So you all know Thor thanks to Marvel and Avengers and so on. Uh, but it's the god of thunder and it's also like a rustic country type of god. So god of the fishermen, of the peasants and so on. And in this, you would basically during this, uh, meat festival, 
finish every food you had in your storage. So everything that was uh, stored for the winter, just to celebrate the end of the of the winter, you would just bring it together in the long hall of the of the old Viking house and share it with your community. So everyone would feast and banquet around this, have like meat, beer, and so on. And that's so it's basically like cured food, so meat and fish. Um, they're cut into slices and pieces and awfully, oftenly served with a rugbrot, which is a rye bread, a dense and dark rye bread that we have in Iceland, uh, butter, and today we add uh, brenivin, which is the national schnapps of Iceland. It's like a 40 to 42 degree type of vodka flavored with a cumin, arctic mm. cumin. It's really rough and we often take a shot of brenivin with the pickle char, the hauka. And the Icelanders like to say that they don't know which one is test the worst, if it's the brenivin <laughs> or if it's the the hauka, the, the the pickled chart. But it's definitely something to try when you when you come to Iceland to get the full the full experience. Yeah. So where should Elliot go, or where will Elliot go to uh, eat pickled shark? I'm not doing it. You have to, man. Yeah. You have a, a place in Iceland called Islandski Baren, the Icelandic bar. So they have all these like traditional dishes and drinks and Homebrewed, homebrewed beer and so on. So you could try it here, but basically in most of the, most of the little restaurants in Reykjavik, you can ask for that. People will look at you weirdly, uh, but they will probably have it on their, on their menu that no one asks for, but you can try it there. All right, Elliot. Well, I expect you to at least, at least give it a try. But for you, Elliot, the best I would do, you just buy it in a store. And when you go on the glacier lagoon, you can take a little piece of ice. And put it in your shot. So you have an iceberg of one thousand year old. Put it in your shot glass and pass it with the hawker with the pickle shot. That's right. the stuff we do with tourists when they go on the amphibian boat in the glacial lagoon. We give them a little taste of uh, of Iceland. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Like literally Iceland. <laughs> yeah. And definitely, Elliot, you should bring some from Bob when you come back. Yeah, I think I mean, yeah. Should. Uh, you know, but, I don't know how well how well it will. Uh, handle on the airplane it's pickle and, shark. <laughs> if it survived the it lasts for centuries yeah, it survived the viking ship and the old school cruise that's no problem at a plane yeah. right yeah it's coming for you it's bob. only a plane right from you bob yeah okay <laughs> bob you already yeah I, i'm not i'm not a fan of uh pickled anything really i'm not i don't even really like pickled vegetables um so I'm not sure how I'd handle pickled shark. I think I I would be more inclined to try the sheep's head, to be honest. Well, I saw the sheep's head. It does not look appetizing. No, no. Any head on a platter, I think I'd probably turn away from. But um, if I had to choose, I think I would go with sheep's head. Yeah, and you can see the teeth, the eye, everything mm-hmm. on the sheep head. I would avoid the eye. Which is very appealing. Yeah. Uh-oh. I mean, you did eat guinea pig mm-hmm. brain. Yeah, I regretted that, though. It didn't taste very good. The rest, of the, the the guinea pig tasted pretty good, but for some reason, I I broke the skull and ate the brains and forgot to realize that it wasn't seasoned like the rest of the meat, and it was uh, it was gross. Yeah, it was, it was bland. It was only gross because you knew well, it was, it was too mushy too. Yeah, it oh, was yeah. pretty mushy. Yeah, I'm not much for bread. No, <laughs> either. No. Does, does, what, does the does the sheep's head still have the brain that's intact? That's actually a great question. I have no clue, no idea. Do you, so when people eat the sheep's head, is it mostly like the cheek muscle? Yeah, the cheek because you don't have much skin on it, so it's just around the the, okay. the cheek, the forehead, right. uh, the the. Anybody cheek. eat the eyes? Yeah, some people. I did actually myself. I tried. Yeah, I wanted to scare away some mean Viking that wanted to scare me the first year I was in Iceland. Uh, it tastes nothing. It, yeah, you really want to pass it as fast with the the schnapps, you know. 
as fast as you can. Okay. Like mushy and liquid, basically, when you have it. Still a bit liquid inside. It's not. That's all right. Yeah, one time, uh, just for the fun of it. Well, explain to us uh, the the better dishes of Iceland. What what do you actually recommend people try when well, they're the, touring Reykjavik? Okay. The two like traditional dish would be like uh, the Icelandic fish stew, which we call klokfiskur, which is basically potato and uh, cod with onions. That would be the most like rustic dish. And the second one would be the meat soup. So it's like a lamb meat soup, also type of stew, but a bit lighter. And you have like fresh vegetable meat, like carrots, celery, potatoes, and so on. And it's uh, spiced with paprika because the color is reddish of this soup. It's pretty good. It's what you can get in the in the countryside. It's very old school. And then we have a super food called skir, which is a type of uh, protein-based yogurt. Uh, that you can now find almost everywhere in the in the US. It became, we're exporting it today. Uh, you have it also in Europe. You can find it. And it's Kier, S-K-Y-R. Uh, and it's very good, and we flavor it today. So you can have like vanilla skier. I tried the other day creme brulee skier. Uh, you have cheesecake skier. Uh, but the most classical would be like vanilla or blueberry. So in Iceland, in Iceland nice. you have blueberry. So it's probably the most traditional one. Uh, so that's this. And then the the fourth one would be probably ice cream. So it's not where the name comes from, Iceland, but we can say that today. <laughs> Icelanders love ice cream and they eat it outside all year long. Okay, so they walk around and have ice cream in deep in the winter and no problem at all. Uh, the thing is, it's mostly vanilla-based ice cream, but then they dip it. So they dip it in melted fudge, melted chocolate, or melted uh, licorice, because they love licorice, they put it on everything. This bl- black uh, candy, uh, and then you can cover it with M&M Skittles and sneaker bars cut in pieces, or even more licorice. So that's something you should definitely try when you go. You just stop at any ice cream store. You have it at every corner in Iceland, even in the countryside, and uh, try that. That's very traditional. I'll, I'll definitely do that. My wife loves <laughs> ice cream, and so and so does my mom and, and my sister. That's very yeah, exciting. for the like more tr- normal food that we will have on a Sunday Sunday dinner with the family, that would be like a slow cooked leg of lamb, uh, because the lamb in Iceland tastes like nowhere else. It's delicious. It's really good. You don't have any mutton taste. It's like free range. Uh, again, like the horse, it has developed since the Viking age on this little isolated island. So it's a unique type of breeding today. This Icelandic lamb, uh, the taste is amazing. It's like. So that would be the traditional one with like root vegetables. And lamb is the primary meat in Iceland, right? You don't do you have a lot of beef? We have a lot of beef now, but I remember when I came the first time was not this popular. So it became popular within the last decade more and more, but traditionally it's mostly uh mostly lamb. You have it we even make lamb burgers, for example. We can find a lot of places with this. Yeah. So do you have any kind of more exotic foods that aren't pickled shark or sheep's head that would be really fun yes but i won't be i want to remain popular on this podcast so i don't know if i can name them but in the winter time we like reindeer i really like it uh like i made last christmas uh reindeer filet wellington sous vide Oh, that was really, really nice. And I'm coming here next Christmas. <laughs> and the other one, which is a cute animal that we love to see in the in the summer, but that's very good and very typically Islamic. It's the puffin. We eat puffin. I love those birds. Yeah. yeah. To eat or to see? Both. I went on, actually on last Thursday on the puffin watching watching tour in Reykjavik. It was really fun. 
but to eat, it's very tasty. It's like a little bit like duck, smoked duck. Okay. Okay. Like confit. Confit, exactly. Like in the southwest of, of uh, France. And then the third one, and again, you won't be popular with it, but it's the whale meat. Iceland oh. is one of the three countries in the world that has the license to kill well, to hunt well, even if we really respect the quota we, we get and the type of well is basically too well that we're allowed to hunt. And that's it. We stick to it. Uh, we respect, of course, the animal and we love seeing them on the well watching tour. Uh, but I also like seeing it on my barbecue because I, I really like it. And this so is. So what's the meat like? And it's basically, uh, for you Americans, it would be like buffalo. Wait, like, like buffalo? A, like buffalo. Like a rough it, beef. Yeah. Is it red meat? It's, it's red pure meat. It's like red, that? yeah. And you don't have any fat. So it's a pure piece of, uh, of meat. And if cooked well, you can basically cut it with your fork. If you prepare it wow. really well, it's just like melting in your mouth. It's delicious. Uh, there's two ways to do it. You can do it just on a, on a little steak with a black pepper sauce or green pepper sauce. That will be just the steak on the, on the barbecue or in a pan. I do it flambé with cognac or bourbon, actually. Uh, that's also very good. Or you can prepare it like the Japanese style with teriyaki marinara. So on oh. a skewer, also on the barbecue, uh, you don't need to cook it. You have to really keep it rare, blue, or worst case, medium rare. You need it like bloody when you eat it. And it's really melting in your, in your mouth. It's some meat I, I definitely recommend once in your life to try. And if in Iceland, why not? We have great restaurants serving this type of, uh, this type of food. And so these, these whale steaks are, are served throughout Reykjavik at various restaurants? No, today it's less and less. So it's only like a, some restaurants, same for the puffin, because we're not hunting this many puffin. And it's only like maybe a handful of farmers that have the right to hunt them on their land. Uh, so it's a very like rare uh, product to consume. So you don't eat it everywhere. But the well, you can buy it actually in some stores also and prepare it at home. I do it often. Um, then some specialized restaurants, like really good places to experience seafood, uh, will serve that. So you can look it up okay. before you prepare it. Or if you really have a, a taste for this type of weird, unique local food, um, I would not say no. I would definitely recommend you guys to do it because it's great. If you really want to try the country, you have to try it also through your mouth because this is traditional. And the way they cook today, Icelanders, is amazing. They have a lot. I mean, their cuisine has been evolving a lot. And they have a good taste to, to season it and prepare it. So I'm, I'm definitely excited for the whale and for the puffin and the stews. And the lamb. Yeah. And do not forget, you are required not, to try pickle no, sharks. No, yes. no. You, you have to. You have to. It's like going to Italy and not getting spaghetti and meatballs, man. Which no. is not, yeah, so that to Italians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I, did, I went to Italy and I didn't get spaghetti and meatballs. You don't get that. Only on Jersey Shore you get it, but that's it. Nowhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right. So, so Gregory, um, you're obviously incredibly knowledgeable about Iceland, and you now are working at GJ Travel. Yes, that's correct. Taking people throughout the country. Yeah. And so, you know, there's not – you have a few different types of tours, um, and I, I want to get into the GJ Travel and what you do there and um, – how people can book tours through your company and see Iceland uh, the best way possible. So, I, I mean, let's let's start with maybe the history of JG Travel. Okay, so the history of JG Travel is very connected to the history of Iceland in the in the 20th century uh, because we're proud to say that we are the oldest tour operator and coach company in Iceland. So, 
of founder. So the initial JG stands for Gumundur Jonasson. So it's the, uh, the Icelander who created our company in 1929. So it's our 90-year-old birthday today. And in an industry that's ever always changing and, and moving, we've been still uh, standing strong and we're proud of it. And today the company is run by the third generation. So the grandsons, which are cousins of uh, Gumundur himself, uh, are managing our company, and they're also driving and guiding some of our groups because they always go on adventure. They kept this adventure uh, quality that we had from the beginning. And we even have a fourth generation now driving and, and guiding our tours. So this company is the oldest, and it's connected also to the beginning of uh, road traveling in Iceland because at that time, in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, was very difficult to travel in Iceland. We were still traveling uh, by horse. So when Gummundur got his first, first his driver's license and his first modified truck from the U.S. Army, he decided to to take with him Icelanders and to venture in the countryside. And he think it's thanks to him that today we have all the Highland Road that we're using. That Elliot might even go on or venture during his uh, his tour. So all the roads have been mapped by Gudmundur and his team, so by our, our company. And the funny thing for you Americans is that uh, the, all the Apollo mission were also driven by Gudmundur. So when the NASA astronauts decided to venture to Hawaii and then to Iceland on their geological field trips to get acquainted with the rough uh, moonlight landscape, the one that you have in Hawaii but also in Iceland, uh, they contacted right away Gudmundur, who was the sole expert in this, uh, to drive them in the countryside. So they went, for instance, uh, in 67, uh, in the north around Lake Niva, Askia, and Drekagil. And you had like famous astronauts such as Armstrong, Brand Cars, Anders, Duke, Engel, Garriott, Gibson, and so on. All the Apollo astronauts went with Gudmundur Jonasson and they trained with us in Iceland. And the funny thing, because it's a long history that we have, and like I said, we today our CEO is the, the grandson of Gumundur himself. His name is uh, Stefan. Uh, Stefan took uh, the descendant of Neil Armstrong, so his grandkids, in the exact same bus. You can see it on the on the website, the old Mercedes bus we we used back in '67, and he took them on the same spot along with also old retired astronaut from NASA that took part in this in this Apollo mission and drove them in 2015 in the summer. So we have a lot of pictures on our webpage or an Instagram and Facebook retracing this uh, this trip. So it's good. So that's why I said we have a long history, but we have customers coming over and over. And today we're welcoming for some group the fourth generation of tourists that are coming again and again. I get often requests uh, from like grandparents saying, yeah, I came in the 70s. Uh, now I would like to come with my grandkids. Uh, I remember you guys. I want to book one of your tour and tour again, like I did back in the day. Of course, Iceland has changed a lot, but I think this like family-based spirit—it's something that makes us strong at JG Travel today. We still have this sense of customer care and customer relation. So every every customer uh, is really part of this history, part of this family, and we really make sure that he gets the best of what Iceland has to offer. It's a, a quite impressive legacy. Yeah, it's a good legacy, exactly. And it's also what makes us maybe stand out from our competition because there's a lot of other companies that are brand new or just doing like mass tourism, but we wanted to keep this orientation. 
be still pioneer in the way we do our tour, like Gumundur did when he mapped the first road, when he crossed the first river. It's thanks to him that we know where to cross by bus this river and this river in the countryside because he went all around this riverbank and he ventured and stuck his own truck in this to make sure that the next will be able to cross at the right spot. Uh, so all this is part of, really part of our DNA. That's what I would say, like, is inside the, the, the DNA we have. So we have this type of thing. Then for, like, fun story to tell, uh, I have also uh, this, yeah, funny story of, like, two solo female travelers because people are often saying when they come to travel by coach because it's what we do. We're a coach company. We don't offer any self-drive or so on. We have a driver guide or a driver and a guide that's a specialist of the country that would operate a tour. Um, so it's very suitable for solo travelers, also female travelers, families, and so on. And I have this example. So one from Minnesota, the other one from Germany, two girls, and they did one of my tour. The guided Aslan Circle is one of our bestseller. It takes the, the ring road in eight days and you see most of the highlights of, of Iceland. It's the best way to experience Iceland for a first, a first uh, visit. Um, they met on this tour. They fell in love. Uh, and then the American went on to Europe to visit Germany with this lady. And then they got married. And they contacted me again a couple of years ago to book their honeymoon trip. And they did exactly the same tour to go on the on the place they met on the same tour with us. So this is also a nice nice story. So I have a lot of those. You can read them on TripAdvisor. Uh, for example, but that's something good to have people meet, meet on the tour. And I think this like family story and really like human relation, mostly today, I think it's important and we should, uh, cherish this. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really so cool then story. The, the, the tour, if you want. So we do many type of tour. We specialize in private customized group tour. So it's mostly dedicated for the business travel, B2B. Uh, but we also do for the B2C. So for all the people that want to venture on their own online and don't be scared our website is well done so you can book basically in three to four steps you can book any of our escorted tours winter summer and we also do greenland oh we are also a specialist of greenland tour yes is greenland tourism on the rise are you noticing more people interested in that country more and more and surprisingly uh more people from uh, emerging countries so i'm booking a lot of indian clients today so they come all the way from india uh, to visit Greenland, Iceland and Greenland, because one of the most popular tour is the what we call the Highland and Greenland combo. When you take over a period of 10 days to two weeks, uh, you can take the best that Iceland has to offer. So for instance, the guided Iceland circle, and then go to Greenland and experience the highlights of this country. So Greenland is on the rise. It's been for a couple of years now. It's like, it feels like okay. it's the, the yeah. last frontier. Yeah. So do you have your tours separated into like outdoor versus summer versus winter and what is your shortest to longest tour okay so the for this so sic so address to fit customers so free independent travelers uh in these sic uh tours uh the shorter we have for the winter ties for the winter time sorry is a five days tour uh and it's on the south coast it's one of our best seller it's called the land of northern lights and it's really a good tour to experience the, the Northern Lights. If you're in Iceland for a layover or in a short time, uh, then the, the longest one we have in the winter is the eight day tours. And it's called the Northern Light Exploration, which is our bestseller tour 
for Northern Lights in the winter. It's really uh, a great tour. It's the one I would definitely recommend for someone who wants to visit us in the in the winter time. Uh, then in the summer, the shortest is eight days and the longest is 12 days, 11, 12 days. So to give you an idea. Uh, and then we have one. So the, the bestseller is the guided Aslan circle. And this one, we've run it with two departures a week all year long. So obviously we stress the northern light when it's in the winter time, when we run it in the winter. And we stress the midnight sun when we run it in the summer. So basically you could take the same tour in winter and summer and see absolutely two different types of landscape and experience it differently. And this one is called the Guided Iceland Circle. You truly recommend coming in the summer and the winter, though? For both, definitely. Because it's it has nothing to uh, to do. It's like two different countries. When you see it white and with the waterfall frozen under the northern light, that's amazing. But when you see also all the green moss-covered landscape in the, in the highland and in the summertime, that's just amazing, too. I would definitely... Iceland is a, is a time for all seasons. It's so hard to be able to choose. You have to come twice. It's, it's one of those... Yeah, you have to come twice. So if if you understood right, you can come a shorter time in the winter time for like a five-day tour and then venture on an eight-day tour in the summer. And then it's done. It's easy. <laughs> Flights are pretty cheap from the East Coast. They are. They are pretty cheap. They're they're in the 300 and less range. And all tours are for all budgets, so definitely mm-hmm. check us out. I think I'm going to have to come back. I mean, I know I haven't even gone yet, and I want to go back already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll go with you. All right. These puffins, these puffins are adorable, Elliot. I can't uh, wait so to eat it. Them. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, Gregory. I'm looking at I'm looking at all the pictures online. Iceland is just so spectacular, and the range of uh, and geography and colors and luminosity. Uh, I will say yeah, it could be the light. The most impressive thing about Iceland is not the landscape; it's the light because the light makes you you know makes your eyesight uh, see the landscape under different perspective. So it can be just a cloud passing, a rainbow, or just the sun, just the sunlight. Um, this would just give the landscape a new tint. So it's a perfect paradise for photographers, for instance, to come to Iceland. And everyone feels he's a great photographer when you come to Iceland because the landscape is doing it for you. You just have to press click and the result is amazing. So it's really a breathtaking contrast. Well, do you, do you mind sharing your social media accounts? Where can people book uh, with you? Do you have Instagram, Facebook? How can people follow along? So we're on Instagram, Facebook. We're also on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel with some of our tours. So you can experience it directly, like our customer experience it uh, through YouTube videos. And then our website, if you want to. So it's jgtravel.is. Maybe you share all this link with the, when the podcast air. Uh, but definitely check our Instagram. It's fun. We post daily on it. And you can follow our guys' adventures and see also the the guests are experiencing us. It's probably the best. And read us on TripAdvisor, what others have to say about us. Because I can give you all the whole sales speech I have prepared, but it's better to hear it from the client themselves, the guests, and see what they have to say about us and our guides and our tours and how we run things. That would be the best. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. I have learned a great deal about Iceland that I will definitely be applying to my itinerary and to my trip coming up in August. It was a pleasure to be on this podcast. I hope everyone learned a little bit of Iceland today. And please come and visit us. It's a lovely, lovely place. Go visit and book with GJ Travel. Reach out to Gregory. Definitely. Tell him, tell him <laughs> that you heard about him on the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Yeah, I will give you yeah. <laughs>
I will be nice to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Gregory. All right. Thank you, Elliot and Bob. That was awesome. We got a ton of information on Iceland. And so now you know where to try some ammonia-soaked sharks and sheep's head. And honestly, man, I can't wait for those pictures. You have to do it for what, for I'm the gram. It? You have to. You have to try sheep's head at a minimum, right? I'm going to get the puffin. I'm definitely getting the puffin and the whale. That's for sure. I don't know. You need to get something that is not enjoyable. And so I'll let you pick. I'll let you pick between the shark or the sheep's head. And um, I did see a picture of the sheep's head, and it looks quite gross. It looks so nasty. It looks so nasty. This, I don't think the shark is any better, but Gregory did say he's eaten it a few times just to please guests. So if he's done it a few times, you can do it once. Yeah, I guess you Hey, man, you can when win. in Rome. When in Rome. <laughs> when in Reykjavik. As always, normal spiel. Shoot us a rating or give us a rating. We yeah. really love to receive them. And follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We do have a YouTube account. We've got a few videos that we're starting to dabble in. And reach out to us. We love hearing from you. Thank you for listening.